So last week we, we started on a story, and that story was uh, based in Kings, First Kings 8. It is mirrored in Chronicles. And what it mirrors is um, Solomon's prayer as regards the temple. Now, why I started there is, was a continuation of the previous week of the centrality of the temple. And, and I want to insist on this a bit before I go into risk and, and, and faith again, part two, because last week Chelsea looked at me badly and I had to stop. Togoki machines. <laughs> no, it, you did look at me badly at all, by the way. <laughs> I just sensed that people were tired. The centrality of, of the temple in both the Old and the New Testament is this, and, and, and this is critical for people to understand, that God manifests himself in two primary ways. Number one, he manifests to us, to us as individuals, uh, as Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit will live in you. He said that whoever does his father's will, he will reveal himself to him as really real. We know that there's a personal experience of God. But there is what was the temple experience uh, then, and there is what is called the communal experience of God today. What is the communal experience? What Jesus said, when two or three of you gather in my name, there I am in your midst. There is a need to nurture the corporate experience of God. Now, this corporate experience is not experienced without sacrifice, without love. Uh, let me explain. A lot of the time, and I, I've seen it so many times this week, I think I'm having confirmation bias, where people say we gathered and we sang, and then that was worship. Or we prayed emotionally, and that was worship. That's, that's not it. I am sorry if you're a guitar player, musician, your ministry is important, but your ministry is the same as that of a preacher, of a pastor, when he gives out the word. Because what you're doing is you're giving out the word. When you're saying God is faithful, God is kind, and you give it a bit, you are doing the same thing a preacher does, only that you've got a symphony, a harmony, and instruments backing up what you're saying. That is not worship. Worship Romans 12 uh, makes it very clear that it is to offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, for this is your spiritual act of worship. There can be no worship without sacrifice. That means that the gathering together of the body of Christ as a temple must coincide and be part of a worship experience that is sacrificial. That means that when you gather, the gathering of the people there should be based on sacrifice and on giving and on building each other. Remember, you are both God's co-workman and God's building and God's garden. You must always remember that. So in any community which you meet, and this is why the, the, the body of Christ is considered as a marriage. In any marriage, a stable marriage is considered a marriage when both parties are spending time giving to each other. The, the, the communion of the church is not people meeting and giving 
to the preacher at the front of the church and then no giving is happening horizontally in the pews and there's no sacrifices being done. The temple was built and predicated on sacrifice. Now, why is this important? It is important because if you don't build a temple in your life, and that temple, by the way, begins with two or three. It does not begin with the tens of thousands. It begins with two or three. It is the genius of how Christ built his church. He built his church with 12 people and one was a betrayer. Okay? So you need to understand that Christ spent more time with the disciples, spent more time building accurate fellowship with the disciples than he did with the multitudes. Such that when the multitudes came in in the book of Acts, it is very clear what is described as was the church then. It said that everyone gave and everyone's needs were met according to what the needs were. Meaning that their gathering together was not just for singing, it was not for sermons, it was a practical coming together. Now, the problem with us is we don't realize, and I'll show you in many scriptures today, that when God moves, his primary move is always going to be based on your church. Let me explain. Your church, I don't mean Kuriakos. In fact, I should have said Ecclesia for better understanding. When God moves, he is interested first in moving with the Ark of the Covenant. This, this you know, right? The, the Israelites, whenever they went to war, whenever they were moving, the Ark moved first, right? Now, the Ark is not just a, you know, we take it like a symbol, like, like, like the way you would have a flag going in front of an army in battle. That's not what it was. The ark represented the sacrifice of the people, the giving of the people, the way the community had organized itself around the people, and it is there where God met them. It is the place where God meets you that moves. You get. Now, the biggest charge is always that we have become the kind of people who our personal moves with God have become a priority. What do I mean? That I feel like God is telling me to move to Canada. I feel like I should start a job. I feel like we do not have that communal experience of God's movement. And that is why this series uh, began, after we described Egypt and slavery, began by explaining what is the temple. And the biggest thing you must ask yourself is where is my temple? Where is this community that I have built, that I've poured so much into it, that any time we gather, and, and you see, here's the thing, you know, Jesus did not say that any time you gather and sing or any time you gather in a building with a cross on the top. He said, where two or three are gathered in my name, 
There I am in their midst, telling me that you can meet in a matatu on your way going home, and God is there. You can meet in the club, and God is there. It is, it is this understanding that when you build a community of brothers and you build a community where you can say that in this person I have invested my life, that you can see that when you can measure that, that place where you meet, where there is brotherhood, every time you meet, whether it's on phone call, on Zoom, in person, God will be there. There will always be a dimension which you access. I, 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 I realized this because a few times I have met a very stubborn friend of mine randomly in Karen. We meet, we spend three hours proper fellowship. And you're asking, where has this God been? And you're like, what happened? Then you realize that there is, whenever there has been love, sacrifice, giving, whenever you meet God is love, he is there. So for you to know where God is moving in your life, part of the reason people struggle is because you're not surrounded by an ecclesia that is speaking to you. When you're surrounded by an ecclesia, and, 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 and those of us who meet on Saturdays, we, we, we know what this means. You sit there, and then someone says, hey, you know, I'm finding it very difficult to do A, B, C, D. Then it seems like out of six, seven, eight people, all of them have the same answer for what you're struggling with. And you're like, it's, I've spent a week alone trying to figure this stuff out, and all of you have answers for me. There is a dimension upon which God reveals himself that he will not reveal himself in the same sense as when you're alone. This is very important. It is something that must sink in you. You must create a temple-focused life. Now, it is very clear because this is about economics, right? So remove the, for a while, remove the spiritual aspect of the temple. I want to talk about the economic aspect of the temple. Now, if I had it my way, and, and uh, maybe we'll do this uh, next week, the, there is a prayer by which we close every meeting. And we say, and now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore. Amen. Now, question. May the grace of our Lord Jesus, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, Paul in his writing, Considering the most three most important things you would sign off a letter about, why would he talk about, and now may the grace? What is it about grace? Because love we get, right? Love you need. But what is it about grace that is, practice, that is practicable in our day-to-day -day lives? How, how, how... Uh, when, 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 when I tell you, here is grace, how do you use it? What does it 
tangibly been. When, when God gives you grace, what does it mean? It is these questions that we miss. Now, please understand that the reason why you need to talk about grace, favor, mercy, and the other uh, gifts that God gives you is we must understand one thing. That if we are going to escape Egypt, and I began showing this last week, there is a miraculous step that needs to happen between Egypt and financial freedom. Let's just be very clear. Okay? I was, I was, I was watching uh, um, a documentary on the, 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 the path to wealth, right? And one of the business partners of, of um, Warren Buffett says, if you want to be wealthy, you need to have in cash and assets at least 100,000 USD. 100,000 USD is 10 million Kenya shillings. Okay? Now, how many people with 10 million shillings <laughs> do you know if you can count in one hand? Right? Now, let me give you my variation of the same. And I want to be very practical. If you catch cancer uh, or you're admitted to the ICU for whatever reason, 10 million shillings is about a month if you're lucky. Because some ICU beds cost up to 500,000. So 20 days, 10 million, right? But a lot of us getting to that 10 million, we take it like it's Bahati Nasibu. There's, there's a statement when psychologists um, deal with the brain psychology of money. There's two brain psychologies, two. One is abundance, and two is being used to having zero. How you know you're used to having zero <laughs> is you have no conscious way of thinking to yourself as to how you can have abundance your brain will reduce that statement to one day to tamik or we will have a breakthrough but you don't have step one two three four five to get there so for example if your goal in life is to get a degree right you know all the parts to get a degree you go to you go do kcse at whatever age get a B and above, you'll go to job, and then you will go to university, you'll get a degree. If that's not the case, if you fail a bit, you can pay for parallel. If you fail, if you feel parallel is too hard, then you can go do a TVET course, get even a certificate, do a diploma, then do two years and get a degree, right? You, your mind has a clear path, you know, 
that if I do A, B, C, D, I will get a degree. Because all your life, you were taught through every day of school that this is the process by which you get there. Correct? Now, what will not be taught in school and cannot be taught in school is you cannot be taught to be used to resources. There is no class that you can be sat down and taught and told, listen, at Monopoly. <laughs> you see, because the exposure that made you know how to get a degree, remember, was a daily exposure. Even when you're in holiday, you are in, on holiday from what? From your process of getting a degree. The, 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 especially in the African experience, we are not taught to interact with wealth creation. We are not taught. Now, why am I talking about this? I have said repeatedly that God needs to do a miracle between you, Egypt, and you, promised land. There needs to be a miracle. Now, we usually think, and this is what I want to correct with giving this backstory, is the miracle is not God making you win the lottery. Please hear me. The miracle is God changing your mind about what is normal to you. The miracle is the change in mindset. That is the miracle. The God takes you through the ten plagues of Egypt, destroying Pharaoh, etc. Just so he can change your mind. That's it. Let me, let me tell you something. When you ask the ordinary Kenyan, how do you become a billionaire? They will tell you, crypto, forex, fintech, uh, tender, wash, wash, right? Who are the richest people? Oh, church. <laughs> True. But who are the richest people who are not in wash wash in Kenya? They make oil, they make matchsticks, they make bread, they, 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 right? Now think about it, think about it. Three quarters of the people watching me are trusting God for a new idea, right? You want to do something new, mostly in tech. But yet, <laughs> in fact, I was watching a document just now uh, uh, about a company that I had never heard of before. They're a trading company. They trade in metals, copper, nickel, whatever. They don't mine. They trade. That means they take from the mine, transport, and supply to a customer. Do you know how many billions they made in 2022? Seven billion US dollars in profit. In profit. 
management was given 1.5 billion as a bonus in December of last year. Wealth is not locked up in amazingly brilliant new ideas. The reason we have that bias is because of what we have been taught ever since Akina Bill Gates and Bezos and Steve Jobs, we have been taught that billionaires do totally new amazing things. So you spend time looking at your business, looking at your career, drawing it because it's not new, it's not fresh, and yet if you look at the world's richest people, there are people, there are billionaires who are sell textiles. Nifundi. Zip. YKK, in fact, is YKK is the best example. That Japanese company produces more than 80% of the zips sold in the world. Zips are technology that is close to 200 years old. Thing, the miracle that needs to happen is God needs to set your mind free from the Egyptians. And that's why last week, every time God kept saying, these Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. Why was it important, yet God was not killing every Egyptian in the world? It was just Pharaoh and his army. But why was it necessary that these Jews never saw Egyptians again? Because the problem is, all your life you've seen Egypt. You've seen Egypt, and your parents taught you Egypt. Let me tell you how parents taught us Egypt. When I used to go to school, we did not have school shoes. I went barefoot. In fact, I was a boy and I didn't have shorts, so my parents bought me a very long shirt. So you've heard those stories. And then now that is used to justify why you should have one pair of shoes that was for class five, but you were bought for in class one, then una jazagazetu kombele. So that your foot can grow into it. Now, it is no problem being born in poverty. That's, that's not the issue. It is the imprint that it puts in your head. There is an imprint that poverty puts in your head that makes it near impossible for you to see anything beyond Egypt. And your reaction, and your reaction is very interesting. There are two main reactions to poverty damage. Number one, you bury your head in the sand and hope that you and success will be like an accident. You're walking one day and success hits you and then you've made it. Or you fake success. So you buy flashy things and you try to go to Mutumba and you have Gucci shoes and 
whatever, or if you are sonko, because the poverty is still in your head, you do go to a Gucci shop, but you buy the most obscene Gucci thing you can buy because the imprint of poverty is so deep in you, you do not know how to change your mind about poverty. And therefore, all you can do is pretend not to be poor. The, the effects of this are proven mathematically through statistics. In the United States, Mercedes-Benz's, Porsche's, fancy cars are bought more by black people than white people. Do you know why? Because black people still carry the generational trauma of racism and slavery. Now, that trauma, hear me correctly, and I say this without fear of contradiction, exists for us for generations of being Africans in black Africa. It has existed for so long. Let me ask you a question. How many Africans do you know who know how to throw a party but don't know how to grow a business? How many times in a week do you find yourself in a conversation that is business-oriented versus how are you? Why? Because even our religion teaches us that wealth is an accident. They tell us, bring money, God will bless you, you'll make resources. Now, true, God will bless you. In fact, based on your giving, God has already blessed you, I guarantee you. Because between your time in Kuriakos and your time out of Kuriakos, so you've given a lot. But you see, the problem is, God, when you give, he says he is able to make grace abound to you. My friend, unless grace is able to be currency, my friend, you can have a lot of grace and remain in poverty. The reason why the gospel, when it is taught, it cannot be accurately represented without it being a cure for poverty is because poverty is the biggest crippling thing to the advancement of the gospel. Okay? Now, last week we talked about crossing the river, not the river, the, the Red Sea. Okay? Now, it is clear, and what the Red Sea signifies, and I know we've been taught that the Red Sea signifies the, 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 the salvation journey. You are in the world and then now you are saved, baptized into Christ. I want you to understand that the Red Sea signifies the beginning of the journey to economic freedom because the promise was not just to be delivered from the Egyptians. The promise was vineyards you did not plant, cities you did not build, homes you did not build, and water 
that you did not dig out, correct? So God's idea was financial. Now, his way of separating you from that, and I went into great detail explaining how the darkness, one thing that is darkness to someone is light to another person. Let me explain what that also means. For you to move with God, you must have revelation about what he is doing. God must reveal to you what he is doing. What, what do I mean? Listen, I want to challenge everyone, and this will sound very unfair. I want to challenge everyone to do a very simple task on your phone, on your notes. Write down my journey to 10 million bob, 10 million shillings. From where you are, you could be at one, at two, at three, at four, at zero, or at minus. <laughs> I've been there, don't worry. At minus, then ask yourself the basic question. Remember last week, I told you, the difference between the Egyptians and the Jews who were crossing is the cloud of God that came between them. To the Jew, it was light. To the Egyptian, it was darkness. Light means revelation. Whenever God wants to do a new thing, from the book of Genesis, the first thing he does where there is darkness is he says, let there be light. Let there be illumination. Let there be understanding. In fact, the very concept of receiving Christ is to receive light. Christ says that I am the light of the world. I am the one who illuminates it. So to receive Christ is to receive revelation. Now, when you write down your journey to 10 million, and if you have 10 million, put it at 100 million. It really doesn't matter to me. Because the exercise I want to show you is how to begin a financial journey with God. Then I'll take you through very many scriptures. How is it 642? I'm still introducing. <laughs> <laughs> so, now, in your journey from here to 10, do you have the slightest idea how to get there? And honestly answer yourself. Do I know what I need to do? What I need to know? What, is, what I don't know that I need to know? And what I don't know that I don't need to know, do I know in my knowledge graph, you know the knowledge pie chart, what I know I know, what I don't know I know, what I don't know, and I know I don't know it, and what I don't know I don't know. Right? Do you, in that pie chart of knowledge, do you know and have the knowledge it takes to get there? Now, if your answer to that is no or 50-50, then we need to look at the scriptures and ask ourselves, how did God uh, manage to get people there? Now I want to read for you a scripture in Hebrews 10, 35 to 39, uh, and then I will read uh, very many scriptures from Joshua. <laughs> mm. You know? Now, Hebrews 10, 35 to 39. 10, 35 to 39. Do not therefore fling away your fearless confidence. 
for it carries a great and glorious compensation of reward. I want you to reread that statement because when I used to read it, because of the heaven-centered mentality I had then, I used to think that faith in God and confidence in God and the reward being here spoken was the reward Paul spoke about. There is laid for me a great crown, right? And we used to think of these things only as achievable and accessed in death, correct? Now, Jesus said something very interesting. He said, go and sell everything and then you shall have treasures in heaven, right? Question. Question. This guy, after he had sold everything and given it to the poor, how was he going to live if all his treasures were in heaven? Huh? Okay, think about it. If today you gave up everything and now you have treasure in heaven, so how are you supposed to eat tomorrow? Eh? Grace. But how does that grace, because Hez is talking about Forex, how does that grace come into being? You see, remember Jesus' words. Sell everything and give it to the poor then you will have treasures in heaven. Then come and follow me. Think about it this way. They sold land. They sold what they had. And they gave it to the poor. Okay. Now ordinarily, if you gave it to the poor and they ate and they drank, then you and the poor are also poor. Logically speaking. But remember, God is careful to say that now you have treasures in. So there must be an understanding. Now the careful understanding you need to have is again derived from the temple. What is derived from the temple? What was derived from the temple? When I was teaching about the temple, let me repeat. These guys had three harvests in Israel. It does not rain three times in a year. Right? It means their interaction with the temple, when they brought and they sacrificed, what God did is he increased their shambas, increased their goods, increased their cows, increased where they worked. So when you build a temple, the confidence you should have is that your giving and your sacrifice, your reward in heaven manifests where? It does not manifest in the temple. It is not even accessed by the abundance of prayer and fasting. It is accessed by you going to your shamba and working. Are we together? That God his grace, his multiplication, his favor, his whatever, 
is then manifested where you work. So you got to mail one. You see, the blacksmith, if he sold everything he had, he did not stop being a blacksmith. He continued being a blacksmith. Now what did God do? God made grace abound. Where? In blacksmithing. Are we together? Okay, so. Now, so Hebrews continues. For you, for you have need of steadfast patience, not those things, endurance, so that you may perform and fully accomplish the will of, and thus receive and carry away what is. Ah. So what God has promised requires what? Patience, endurance, and the accomplishment of the will of God. Those three things are different. You must patiently endure to accomplish a thing. You must patiently endure to accomplish a thing. Notice, therefore, the salvation that is being talked about in Hebrews is not salvation to take you from hell to heaven. It is salvation to the promise of God. And what he's talking about here is he's talking about the lives of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and how they accomplished what God asked them to do and therefore received a reward while they were still breathing. Okay. So please note that you need patient endurance to, to do the will. For it is still a little while, and the coming one will come, and he will not today. But the just shall live by faith, right? I don't want to read this. And if he draws back and shrinks in fear, my soul has no delight or pleasure in him. If he shrinks back in fear. Now please note, the reason why we don't take risks is fear. That's 99.9% the reason you will not take risks. But our way is not of those who draw back to eternal misery, to perdition, and are utterly destroyed. But we are of those who believe, who cleave to and trust to and rely in God, and by faith preserve the soul. The preservation of your soul is tied to the accomplishing of God's will. Can we agree? And the accomplishing of God's will is tied to the promise of God. So, now when I was praying about this, I was told to read for you Joshua. And if you can, please read Joshua chapter 1 all through to chapter 5, and to chapter 6 actually. I'm just going to read excerpts. I'm going to read excerpts. Now, Joshua chapter 1, God is speaking to Joshua after the death of Moses. Okay? Now, I want you to see the words that God chooses to repeat to Joshua over and over again. He says, only be strong and very courageous. Hebrew says, do not be afraid. Okay? That you may do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. 
want you to consider that God's first instruction to Joshua is to be courageous. First instruction to be courageous. And he repeats it over and over. And he repeats it like three, four times in Joshua chapter 1. What we must understand is that for you to execute God's plan, after you've built a temple, etc., etc., number one, he will require courage of you. Why do you need courage? Let's start here. Let me just speak practically. Let's assume you're employed, you run a business, or you're broke. How will you get out from where you are? First, if you're going to save, let's just talk about savings, because it's, it's the easiest. Because savings means you've received a salary, or you've received some money and you need to save, right? Before you go into the complex things. Now, your savings should be equal to three to six months worth of salary. My friend, assume you earn 30,000. Your savings should be at least 90,000 to 180,000. Now, if you're going to save 1,000 per month, it will take you 90 months, right? So to save 30,000, 90,000, in nine months, you need to save 10,000. You have to have the courage to do without 10,000. Just from the beginning. Okay? After you've saved your 90,000, It does not make sense to save beyond that because the return on investment on savings is not equal to an investment. So you need now to take another 90,000 and invest in something that will give you two times at least the inflation rate for that year. So again, you need to have courage to invest in a, in a business. Okay? So you need courage. <laughs> Are you seeing? This is why Christ, when he asks you to believe in him, he requires faith of you. Because faith is required not only in the salvation from sin and death, it is required in economic salvation as well. You need to believe. Now, for example, if today you were told that cut down your expenditure so that you can save a third, so that in my nine months you can have a buffer, the first question you're asking, how will I pay rent? Right? How will I eat? What will I need to cut down? How will I survive? But you see, immediately what that does is it puts you in God's hands. 
A lot of the time, because we are unable to do that, what do we do? Tumeweka shida chini, tuatupika mikono juu, that's what we do. Because the task of actually achieving what God is asking you to do with your finances is so hard. You're like, you know what? Let me just enjoy it. Isn't that what we mostly do? This is why I keep saying the salvation you first need is here. God needs to increase you, granted. But he will increase you with a plan. And I will show you the plan he gave Joshua. And I will give you one-to-one -one examples on how you can achieve financial freedom based on what even the best of financial advisors give. Because, right. So he tells him to be courageous. And then number two, he tells him you will need courage to do what? To do everything that Moses, my servant, commanded you to do. Aha. Now there is the trick. There is the trick. Remember, if you are to just consider the laws around the temple. You know, a lot of the time when you hear what Moses commanded you, you hear ten commandments. But Moses did not command them just about the Ten Commandments. They had commandments on conquering all the tribes in Canaan, correct? They had commandments on the land they should occupy. They had commandments on the temple they should build. They had commandments on, on, on how they should live life, correct? He says, what will keep you from doing all that I command you is fear. But it's a basic thing. If we are going to build a temple, the reason why we are unable to give in to each other, let's start even just with money, is when I give you my last 500 bob, mint and a job education. Fear. Right? So God is clear that if you are going to achieve anything, I need to set you free from your fear of what? Obeying me. You need to not be afraid of the Hittite, the Jebusite, the, 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 the Gagishite. All of those fears need to die. Otherwise, the very promise I gave you, I will not be able to fulfill. And this is the problem. Because many of us live in a place where the promise God gave us is so far away. You need to. Is so far away from. Where we are, yes, yeah, so that there is, yes, like that. Sante. The promise, listen, how many of us, let me start here, even those guys online can answer. How many of us know there is a promise from God about your life? 100%. Right? How many of us are living that promise? 0%. You're not alone. The difference between where you are and what God promised is what I'm going to define for you. But remember, you cannot leave this promise unless the temple is built. Sir, so for you, okay, for you and where God is concerned, you must keep every commandment that he has given you. 
right? That you may prosper wherever you go. Okay, maybe I want. If there's a place I want refund, it is here. God's promise to us obeying, and that's what I'm talking about the temple, because remember, the summation of the law and the prophets is what? Love, right? The temple is love. God promised that if I keep his commandments, I will prosper wherever I, okay? This is what God, in trading with the Jews, is saying is salvation. It is not different, and that's why I read it in the, in the Hebrews, uh, uh, in the New Testament. It is not different. The promise of salvation is not different. God is interested in the prosperity of his people. He says, I pray that you prosper even as your soul prospers. But the problem is we have been taught how to prosper our souls. We've not been taught how to prosper financially. Now God is clear that if he's going to prosper you, he's going to increase you. You have to make sure you do all that he has commanded you. Do not turn from it to the left or the right so that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, that you may observe all that is written, that, uh, that you may serve and do according to all, all that is written in it. For then you shall make, then, then who shall make the way prosperous? Then you shall make your way prosperous, and then you shall deal wisely and have good success. Huh? Huh? So the road to prosperity is whose? Who shall make their way prosperous? Hey, hey, but the preacher told you that the guy in the Illuminati is rich because he has done a deal with the devil, so the prosperity was with the devil. Or, look, you gave to me, now I have a chopper. No, 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 no. Every person, it says, you shall make your way prosperous if what happens now when we read it here it says meditate on this book of the law day and night so that you will not depart on it uh, 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 all the days of your life and then you will make your way prosperous and you will have the wisdom to deal correct now question who in the bible who whether it is abraham even jesus himself spent the whole day meditating on the word Think about it. It is physically impossible. Because if you shall think about it and do it all the days of your life, day and night, it means that you practically have time to do nothing else. But that's not what God means in this sentence. God said that he will write his law on our hearts. Then he continued and said that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Now, remember what I told you. The miracle is not killing the Egyptian. The miracle is changing your mind. What God is saying here is telling you that if you can change your mind and base it on the word of God, you will prosper in all you do. Now here's the problem with how we live our lives. Our way of living life is we switch God on and off. Now I have, I'm doing a secular thing, 
Now I'm doing a gospel thing. I'm listening to a secular song. Now I'm listening to a gospel song. Nonsense. Now I'm in business. I'm secular. I am in church. I am. This is saying that if your mind can shift, that you get to the point where everything you do is dictated upon that which God has taught you, that in, whether you are asleep or at night, you are guided by what God has taught you. You know, it's, it's interesting because I, I am a lucid dreamer. So sometimes I dream I'm in a fight. Okay? And then in my dream, I'm like, hey, but I'm not a fighter. God fights my fights. I'm like, hey, even Mokokataku in your dream. <laughs> because, because it needs to change. You, you need to change so much that your natural reaction to things is what God dictates of you. And what does that take? You've got to be fearless and bold. You understand that you need to have that inbuilt in you. Now, what is God changing? All right? God needs your mind to change, that you do everything that you've been instructed. Now, please understand there are two instructions. There's just how you need to live life, the temple life I'm talking about. You need to be loving, someone who pours into. Then you have treasures in heaven. But there is the specific instruction to you, right? God has told you, for example, to be what? A farmer. Right? Now, you cannot today farm, quit farming because it didn't rain, run to cryptocurrency, run to uh, 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 selling shoes, run to... You can't. Because there are two sets of instructions. The reason why the Holy Spirit lives with you is to give you instructions specific to your life, but also give you the power to do the things that you are supposed to naturally do. So you must understand, just the same way as each tribe was given where to stay, and the Levites and the priests were told specifically what to do, your life needs to be like that. You need to be guided by that. Okay? Now, let me, let me go to Joshua 2, 9 to 11. Please read Joshua 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. Now listen, Joshua 2, 9 to 11. I want you to see how the world views you. Because there is a mentality I need to change in the church. It says, and she said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that your terror is fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. Okay. Now, how do we usually put it in church today? My haters. Right? Mahasibuangu. We are so focused on the imaginary people trying to bring you down that you forget the correct understanding of where you stand with God is that those people are scared of you. Oh, let me adjust. You see, 
the first time the Jews tried to walk into the promised land, and I taught this before, they were like, they are giants and we are grasshoppers. They are bigger than us. They will destroy us. Okay, let me tell you practically how you do grasshopper in your business life. God tells you you're going to keep wadudu. Right? And then you start keeping wadudu. I'm giving personal example. And then you enter the wadudu field and then you discover ha! The people who entered before you have more money than you, have more resources than you. Then you go like, they are giants, we are grasshoppers. Okay? God tells you, start a shop. You start a shop, yours is three feet by three feet. Okay? You have to turn around like this. You know, because there's no space. Then you look at a big supermarket, you say, we are grasshoppers. Okay? Now, what is the mental shift? The mental shift here is you must understand it is them who are afraid of you. Not you who is supposed to be afraid of. The mentality of any person who wants to make it in life is you've got to stop the rowing, disregarding, disreputing, despising your small beginning. Because it is the despising of your small beginning that kills your dream about who you can be. It is when you look at your business, you're a baker. Then you look at what's the biggest bread thing? Super loaf. And you're like, well, who can tie fika? So because those are giants, you cut down your dream. You, you've done it. Cut down your dream, then your cafe is like, Sasa, now my target market, my neighbor there, you, you cut down your dream. Sound familiar? So you've got to change perspective. That when you have God, God is the ingredient that makes the people who are on the other side be afraid of you. Okay? <laughs> Amen. On Saturday, I'll tell you what this scripture means to me. Because it spoke to me in a new way. In my personal life. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the east side of the Jordan, Sion and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. When we had it, our hearts melted. Neither did spirit or courage remain anymore in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. What is Rahab the prostitute recognizing? See, you must realize that when you have done the building of the temple, you're working with God and you're following God. 
in your wilderness, the people in the, your promised land are afraid of you. See, they were in the wilderness. These guys were in the promised land. They had, they, they have what you want, but they're afraid of you. Now, I want you to see, because this is, he has sent out the spies. Ah, in fact, let me teach about Joshua 2 again so you understand. Joshua sent out two spies to spy out the land. Why? You must know the promise. This is, again, part of business strategy. When you're doing a business plan, they ask you, what is your plan? What do you want to do with this business? Now, you see, you must be able to spy out the land. You must be able to tell how big is the market. Okay? So, I'll give you an example. The average American, I'm just trying to show you how people think versus how you think. People who sell exports will tell you the average American buys 30 to 50 kilograms worth of clothes per year. Right? The average European does 22. The average Indian does 12. Your average African does 5. Did you hear those numbers? 5 kilos. 4 are mtumba. When you start a business, when God tells you career, whatever it is, have you had the knowledge and the presence of mind to spy out the land? Do you have the information about it at your fingertips? Okay, God tells you to start a shop selling handbags. How many handbag sellers are in Nairobi? Do you know? How many handbag buyers are in Nairobi? Do you know? Do they buy original? Fake original? Ex-stacky? Second hand? Do you know? Or you went to your neighbor. E-business in a door. You started. When you want to start your bakery, do you know where wheat comes from? Do you know what the cheapest wheat is? Do you know where baking soda comes from? Do you know what types of wheat there are? Do you know what type of sugar works best with your recipe? Do you know whether you want vanilla, true vanilla extract, or you want artificial vanilla? Do you know? Have you studied your promise? When God promises, Habakkuk says, write down the vision and make it clear. In, 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 in Joshua 1, God had already told Joshua how far he's supposed to go, right? In fact, God had not only told Joshua, he had told Moses, he had told Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob before them. True or false? So why is it necessary, pray tell me, that Joshua also has to spy the land. 
Now, we, when we, God gives us a promise, we don't spy the land. When God tells you, you are an industrialist, please translate that to mean, I have no clue what I'm doing. Can I tell you why? Yes, sir. I want to give you business understanding. If you are to start a service company, okay, you start a call center, for example, right? What you need is people with voices, technology to collect the calls, and a customer, right? So that's it. When you want to start an industry, is it the same process? Everything that God promises you requires intelligence before God can move you. Are you together? It requires intelligence, information. So question, in that 10 million thing, I'm sure as you've, you've spoken, God has given you ideas. And by the way, ideas are not just business. It could be career. It could be an accountant. And your path to 10 million is how can you be the best accountant who's the advisor of accountants? How do you get there? Now, you need to have intelligence. There is a, listen, listen, listen. There are two ways to get paid the best bucks. Number one is to start a business which you either sell very expensively, so it's luxury, so a few people give you a lot of money, or you sell quite affordably, so a lot of people give you a little money and the equation balances out. Or you are so talented gifted in what you do that when you do it you're paid top dollar for it okay i can play basketball out of 100 shots 20 will ingia right Mugzo over here is better at me than basketball at basketball out of 100 shots maybe 50 of his will ingia Steph Curry, out of 100 shots, 101 will ingear. So who are you going to pay big bucks? Okay? So you've got to be able, if, 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 if you choose, you're going to play basketball. Go and analyze the NBA, the European League, the Jap Japanese League, and find out, out of these many lands, that God can give me where I can prosper in. Where do I land? Where can I go? Set your goal there. Set your faith there. And then have the courage to pursue it. That is why faith does not come without knowledge. It is foolishness to say I'm trusting God for 10 million and do not have the knowledge required to get you to 10 
It is foolishness. Every utterance of prophecy must be met with knowledge. You know, Christians are weird. We pray, we are told it's going to rain. We are like, yeah. Dude, I wasn't going to say dude. You live in Nairobi. Why the heck are you saying yeah? You stupid. Because you should ask, what does rain mean to me? What should I do? Prophecy must always meet knowledge. Now, isn't it interesting that God has spoken to Joshua? Joshua has an, an interaction with God. And then he sends spies. You, you have an interaction with God. You just want to hold a small TV I receive. Then you go home with your stupid self. Nothing here, just feelings here. Are we together? Okay. So spy out the land. Two things. No. That you're not a grasshopper. You are the one your enemy is afraid of. Two, spy out the land. Know what is this? You know, when, 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 when God tells you, let's say if God tells you you're going to be a billionaire, you know, we don't understand. Because you can be a billionaire and have no cash. You know that. Most billionaires don't have cash. But you see, your ignorant self thinks when you hear Elon Musk bought Twitter for 44 billion, you think he went to his bank account and wrote there 44 billion and he sent. Because but because you've not spied out what it means to be a billionaire, you have no clue. So even when you pray, what are you asking God for? Because you don't even know what it is you're asking for. You see, if God tells you you're going to be a billionaire, you need to count. So let's say you manufacture Cakes. It's your name too. I just follow the the examples that come to my heart. But let's say you manufacture cakes and you want to make a billion in sales. Okay? A billion in sales. And each cake you sell at a thousand bob. That tells you you need to sell a million cakes. To sell a million cakes, you need equipment worth manufacturing a million cakes. You need a marketing department able to sell a million cakes. You need a distributorship able to distribute a million cakes. You need storage that is able to handle a million cakes. You need electricity that you understand. Not, oh, God promised me. I had a prophet say, I will sell a billion worth of cakes. So I'm trusting God that a customer will show up asking for a billion cakes. Are you mad? Which customer will show up with your tiniest bakery 
and say, give me a billion kicks. They deliver them. Ataki kupatia one year or deliver. You start baking today. <laughs> Did you see how God works? Remember, he told Joshua, you will make your way prosperous. And you will have wisdom so that everything you do prospers. Are you seeing how these things, God is not speaking about mystical things. He's saying practical things. Okay? Now, Joshua chapter 3. Again, read chapter 2. You'll find very many nuggets. Alright? Now, commanding the people, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God being born on the Levitical priest, set out from where you are and follow it. You know, there's an understanding we need to have. God, when he moves, he moves with his people, his remnant. Okay? Me, I have learned one very basic scriptural truth. If God allows you to see it, you can do it. God allows you to see it. He is telling you, you too. Let me let tell you why I learned this. I learned this when I was in campus. And then God would allow me to see most interesting of things. For example, I would hear a friend say, one day in the end of mission, I didn't have money, and God provided for me because I obeyed. I promise you, the next week, I'll be on a mission because certain preachers didn't, a preacher for the local church I was in didn't like me much. I'd be sent out. If he got, there's no money. I remember the testimony I had and then I know, oh, God is going to do the same for me and he would do it. Similarly, in business, in career, and the importance of spying things out is what you see, you will do. Now, what is critical? There are two seeings here. When you see God moving, the temple. No, it is time for you to move too. Now, what does that mean? Remember, these guys had spied out the land. They had received instructions already from the time of Moses, 40 years before, that this land is theirs. Okay? They're sitting on this other side of the Jordan. They didn't move, even after they had spied, even after they knew what God was telling them to take. They didn't move until when God told them to move. You must have the discipline not to move 
because you saw opportunity, Kenyan problem, quails will move. Eh? Mushrooms will move. Nini? You must have the discipline to move because God said, not because opportunity arose. You must begin to have the sensitivity to know. Guess what? God is moving. I'm moving too. You must have that sensitivity. In fact, it says you must keep a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure, come not near it, that you may be able to see the ark and know the way you must go, for you have not passed this way before. This is what God means when he says we are co-workers. God tells you, go gather the information, know everything about it, study the business, know the market, know the rigmaroles of it, understand the risks, understand all of those things. But when it comes to move, let me tell you when to move. Again, let me give you an example. Every conman will always ask you to move quickly. Every conman will tell you, Inyumba, inapeanwa, sai. Lipa deposit, sai. Kuna demuingine mekam tu sai, anaipenda sana. Na akonadoni, ni mwamambio ulikuwa hapa mbele yake. So, God moves at his pace. And you must always position yourself to see where God is moving. Let me give you an example. I find it very interesting that in my work with Christians, they will tell me, oh, you know, the other day, uh, I didn't have money to pay for my car payments. I was so worried about it. Then, the person who sold me the car called me and said, by the way, nasikia tu, yani, tulia, utanilipo kipata pesa. Right? Then the same Christian will call you six months later and tell you, ah, guy, wow, imagine the person who sold me the car, guy, you're wondering, which God changed? The God that gave you favor six months ago and the God of today, what is the difference? You know what the difference is? God moved and you didn't. Anytime you find yourself that in a particular situation where you had success and that success or favor, or whatever, has left you. Usually, we go back to sin. Forgetting even when you had favor, your rugged ass was still sinful. God does not deal with us according to our sins. But, 
God expects us to move with him. So question, do you know when God is doing A, B, C, D? Do you know? Can you tell? But notice something. Notice something. And here's the best part about living in fellowship. When we live in fellowship, how does it work? It says, when you see the Levitical priesthood moving. Okay? So, here's the thing. If God is moving in Chelsea's life, okay, will he not move in mine? You know, a lot of time, we're like, I don't know what God is doing. Crazy. Because God meets with us, talks to us, at where? He said, at the temple, that is where I will meet you. It does not mean that he will not talk to you when you're in the field. Please don't get me wrong. But if you want to know, specifically what God is saying and doing, and you find yourself in a lot of trouble, call your brothers. They will tell you where God is moving. Keep them in your radar. Because God has an interesting way of dealing with this flock. It says in John that the hired servant when he sees the wolf, runs away. Hired servant is not Christ. But there is a shepherd, small s, who meets with the wolf on behalf of the sheep. Telling me that Jesus, being the head shepherd, must deal with the wolf before he comes to me. Okay? Meaning that God says he will not do a thing unless he reveals it to his friends. Okay? So, guess what? how God works. When you are in trouble and you can't figure it out, you can't understand it, you need to keep your temple in sight. Where God is moving your temple, that is where he is going. Do you know what they call it in business? A board of directors. What is the job of a board of directors? To see and to move so that the rest of the company can follow. <laughs> I'll tell you, I'll show you the things in the Bible and how they are in business. Listen, our president, Ruto, has a board. Burkomen here. Baruch Kibet there. Correct? Raila Odinga has the same thing. Okay? Elon Musk. Every successful person has people whose job it is to tell him where he ought to go. Correct? Now you, with your genius self, I'm feeling down. 
I am stressed. I don't know what to do. I'm alone. Jesus, when he did not know what to do, when he was in anguish and pain, what did he do? He who was God, when he was in anguish and pain, he came to his disciples and he said, come and watch with me for an hour. Where is your boat? Where are the people who tell you this is what God is doing? Where are they? Where is your board of advisors? Where is it? Hmm? You see, this temple is not just a place you go deposit and you disappear. The temple also defines where you go. It defines how you win your battles. So you need to build people around you that you don't need to do much. See, let me give you marriage advice. If you want your marriage to work, build a temple. How? Know what God does in your spouse and what God does in you. Then when God is doing what he does in his spouse, you, you see, you. It is the same thing. There are problems which if you sit in your board and deal with things, you will find, Aya, this Kinyangarika has my solutions. The only problem is it's just another stone like you. <laughs> you get it? So do you have visibility? Can you see what God is doing in the temple so you know to follow? Because I can tell you for free, for free, God will not show you everything. It's impossible. It does not matter how much you know, how clever you are. And even worse, you can, and this, this, is, this is the most frustrating thing. You can be a fisherman by profession. Fish the whole night, doing all the right fisherman things. And end up without fish. That's where this working together becomes important. Hope you're taking notes. Where? Guy, it's 7.39. So anyway. Another thing I wanted to show you here, because I will not read all of it. This is Joshua chapter 3, 
there are many things there because I want to get to a few more things I need to show you. Now, when the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them, the priests and the leaders stood in the water and the water stopped until all the people had passed. The beauty about building a temple is that there is someone who will fight a war for you so that you can pass. When you're choosing a board in the secular world, if in Kenya you want to build a big business, you look for someone who will deal with the politicians, right? Someone who will deal with KRA. See, that's why boards exist. Similarly, in your temple, there are people God has ordained that you don't fight the waters. They simply stand for you and you pass. In business, they have called it and said, your network is your network. Remember that statement? Now let me explain it to you the way Jesus said. Jesus said, use your unrighteous mammon to win friends so that in your hour of need, whose hour? Yours. They will invite you into their eternal habitations. Eh, meaning, not every problem is to be solved by you. Sometimes, someone needs to stand in the gap for you. And standing in the gap is not just prayer. There are people who have the capacity to carry you into your dream because they know where to stand in for you and cover for you so that you can walk on dry ground. Again, where do these people come from? Your temple. Have you built this capacity? Who stands for you? Do you have someone you can call and go to bed because they've said they'll do it? Are you that person we can call and we can rest because you've said you'll do it? Ah, Joshua, I have to finish. Yes, O oh Christ. Joshua 4. And, uh, should I read this? Okay. Let me re skip Joshua 4. Please read it. But let me go to Joshua 5. Okay. Because the points I want to make in Joshua 4. I'll make in Joshua 5, right? Now, the children of Israel have crossed over, okay? They, they, they are on the other side, right? And they're supposed to be conquering the promised land. Then, God's instruction to Joshua is circumcise these people. Circumcise? 
that's rather weird. Why would God require, all right, the circumcision of people who are about to conquer a promised land? Now, this is interesting because it goes on to explain how Joshua circumcised them, I mean, Joshua 5, because the last people to be circumcised were those who left Egypt, but these ones who were born in the wilderness were not circumcised, blah, blah, blah. Now, my question is, why would God ask for circumcision for this new stage of their existence? Because the circumcision is not a hard thing. In fact, it was by flint knives. Flint stone is available almost everywhere, right? So, question, why did God, knowing that these guys were now 40 years old, why didn't he circumcise them before the Jordan? Why they, they were encamped on this other side? They mourned Moses for 40 days for crying out loud. If it was about time to circumcise, don't circumcise people when the, the, the enemy is there and they are here, then they are circumcised and then they remain there until they are healed. That is not good military strategy. <laughs> Does not make sense. It's not the time or the place to circumcise people. But the Bible continues to say, and, and um, listen, uh, verse 5, uh, no, uh, when, they, when they finished circumcising all the males of the nation, they remained in the place, in the camp till they were healed. Verse 10, and the Israelites encamped, someone read verse 9, I skipped verse 9, eh? and the Israelites encamped in Gilgal. In fact, don't read verse 9, just get me the meaning of Gilgal. And they, uh, uh, and they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at the evening of the, uh, in the plains of Jericho. And on that same day, they ate the produce of the land and leavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased on the day that they ate of the produce of the land. And the Israelites had manna no more, but they ate the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. When Joshua was by Jericho, he looked up, behold, a man stood there. And I don't want to go there. The meaning of Gilgal, please. It means, it is defined. God has, today God has separated the waters from you. Now listen, what this place meant, I'll share the meaning. It's, it's described in Joshua. In fact, if you go to the book of Joshua, you'll find Gilgal. They call that place Gilgal. I think it is in chapter 4. Right? Then read it for me. Anyway. God circumcised them, they celebrated Passover, and that year they ate the fruit of the land and manna ceased. Okay. What does circumcision mean? Paul said you must circumcise your hearts. Okay? These guys for 40 years, were manna people. Ah. 
So let me explain to you what circumcision meant. Circumcision meant that now, huh? you found it? I skipped nine years. Yeah. And the Lord said to Joshua, This day have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the name of this place is called Gilgal. Rolling to this day. Right? I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Hmm. You are no longer Egyptian. You are now Israel my people who are my people okay i want to say some rude things i'm trying to find good words an uncircumcised person does not belong to his tribe right an uncircumcised person even when you have uncircumcised heart, you don't belong to God. Gilka, the place where they were circumcised, God rolled away their Egyptianness. The reproach, the stink of Egypt was removed from them. The stink of Egypt is you don't yourself, you don't harvest. You live in manna. God did not design the world so that he can miraculously feed you. When Noah was done with the, war, with the flood, what did God tell him? For as long as the earth exists, so shall seed time and harvest. The circumcision you need to get rid of from your mind is that I only am able to solve my problems today, think about today, and solve today. I am unable to think in a harvest manner. What is the difference? The person who thinks in terms of harvest takes cognizance of today and does what is needed today to make sure tomorrow he can harvest. There is a change of mentality between the wilderness Christian and the harvest Christian. The person who received the promise needs to understand harvest, not manna. In other words, the person who understands God gets to a point where he knows God is partner in my labor. And therefore, I must labor so that God prospers what I labor in so that I can harvest and thereby glorify him and eat as well. 
this was the pattern even for Adam. That what? That he would tend the garden, he would harvest, and thereby he would eat. If you find yourself in the place where God has to do manna for you 24-7, you are a child. Because when Israel is in the wilderness, they are called the children of Israel. When they get to the promised land, God says, Israel is my son, Julius. Mature son. The mature son is the one who understands harvest. Is the one who says that I shall patiently endure. I shall endure my circumcision so that I may receive my reward. So let me tell you, give you a promise. Every time God moves you into a new place, not only will you find it hard to cross, not only will you find it a, a, a challenge, but he will circumcise you so that stupidity leaves your head. You cannot, listen, your, your characteristics of yesterday are the reason you are where you are today. And unless God circumcises your stupidity out of you, you will not be able to sustain where you are. Because the problem is if the Jews conquered a city and they had manner mentality, so they would leave the city in the morning because they've not been circumcised in their heads, going outside in the field looking for manna and crying out to God, where is manna that you used to give us yesterday? Because their mind has not changed. So you start a business, you start a job. Now before you got your job, before you did all of those things, you used to pray. And then Mpesalias, your mom, your cousin, your churchmate, whoever, whoever, has sent you 20,000. And then you come and give a testimony. Nilikuwa kwa nyuba. Radro darikuwa menipigia. Makasema mimi matanifukuza. Ha, mungu ni nani? Jehovah katuma, 20,000. Yo 20,000, nikaripa lente, nikimaza ukuripa lente, nikanua kafishi na agima. I'm good, Right? So you know that testimony. Come on, we've all said it. Eh, those are manner testimonies. It is not a sin, you're just a child, but we need you to grow up. Eh, hello. Are we together? Okay. God has to circumcise us. And that circumcision requires a change of mind. That you are not going to get into the promised land and want to live the way you used to live when there was manna. God is radically adjusting your mentality to what? That this land has fruit. And I will make that fruit work. And I 
this step is hard for many people. Especially those of us who think money is magic. Because he gives bread to the eater and seed to the God is clear in his mind that he created you to work and bear fruit. Remember, when he gives you talent, his issue is not that his talent stays safe. No. His issue is that the talent he gave you is able to multiply. So God's expectation of you when you die is not to tell him, hey God, unajua, unagunka ile day, sikuwa na pesa, alafu ukatuma jona, akanitumia pesa, hey, high five, British. You know, God, unagunka ile siku, sikuwa na rent. Remember, it is you who is to be rewarded. Correct? God gets glory from you achieving what he told you to so what must change? You must move from, drop it down from heaven to I need water. How am I going to make the resources God has given me produce water? So sometimes God has moved you out of the wilderness and manna has ceased. Then you want to live wilderness life. Then, so they are circumcised, all of those things. So please understand, the new place God brings you, the place of promise, requires you to have promised land mentality. Please do not bring Egypt and wilderness, smells, stench, into the promised land. Please, go to your Gilgal. Remove the reproach. Egypt had scarcity. Those guys, do you remember what those guys used to miss? Cucumbers and onions. Yani, not, not beef steak. Yani, was how scarce a mentality did they have that they missed? They missed cucumbers and onions. That your prayer when you're in trouble is you ask God for cucumbers. <laughs> so, what does God say? They had grain and unleavened cakes. That's what they hate. Now notice something interesting. It is not until they are circumcised, they've done the Passover, and I explained the Feast of Passover weeks ago, so I'll not repeat, that now God sends to them who? A prince of the Lord's host. And this prince says, I'm not for you, neither am I against them. 
I'm on the Lord's side. The choice you have to make, and this is very clear, is that the moves you make in life should not be driven by revenge, driven by showing off, or oh, Nani has bought a car, I will buy a bigger car. Nani has bought a house, I'll buy a bigger house. Or oh, Nani has done this. Mm -mm. You have to be driven from this point onwards by what does God want. You do what God wants. Now, I want to show you the last thing, then we can finish this thing. Okay? Joshua 6, 2-9. You'll read it, but I want to show you something. This scripture used to bug me. Because it's a very ridiculous scripture. It says, there's a city, it has a big wall. Then God says, uh, let the Ark of the Covenant go ahead. I've already defined what the Ark of the Covenant is. The, on top, in front of it, there are priests blowing the trumpet. And what made a difference to me is that the Jews must march. March. Not walk around Jericho. Do you know the power of a march? If an army meets a bridge, it's not allowed to march. Do you know why? The bridge could fall. There is power. <coughs> When people walk in step. But marching also requires precision. That what the person in front of you did, you did. But going round something also means you have to have repetition. <laughs> so what is business. A good business is a business that has a sound. It's called marketing. <laughs> a good career is a career that has a sound. It's called marketing. A sound given to you by God. Sound. A good business, we've already discovered, follows the ark. Correct? The temple. But notice this time, the trumpet and the temple. Okay? Number two. A good business is organized. That's what marching forces. You cannot run a disorganized business. You cannot run a business that does not have structures. It's not matching. A business, Joshua tells them, don't make a sound. Why? A business that is in constant quarreling Cannot match. Okay? A business must be able to do the same thing the same way every day. 
If you went to a hotel, today they serve you good food. Tomorrow they serve you cold food. Keshakutwa, it is too hot. The next day it is not there. The next day they've changed the beef to forgot meat. How many are going back to that hotel? If you buy a product, water, today it tastes orange-ish tomorrow, apple-ish tomorrow, salt. Are you buying that water anymore? The giants in your life will fall because you are able to be organized. Your results are able to be repeated. They are repeatable results. Your staff follow your instructions. Whoever you lead marches in step with you. Are, are you seeing the business principle? I do, by the way, I do not stand anyone who works under anyone who does not obey the person they work under. You're destroying your career and that person's business. If you know what to do, go and start your own. So a business is what? It is a sound. Follows what God is doing. Matches, meaning there is regimentation, there is structure. Meaning, there is repeatability, dependability, reliability. That you know tomorrow when you come, this business is going to do this quality of work the same way. Needs to have endurance. You can't just go round a problem once and then go and say, ah, will Nyambia, have you ever seen those people who you give advice on what to do in business? You tell them, go market. Ah, Milena nikafanya Facebook advertisement one week, haiku work, nikwana nimeacha. Once? You must do that same thing the same way excellently seven times. What does seven times mean? Perfection. But it also means you become an expert at it. Are we in the same page? Now, for you to conquer Jericho, you've got to make sure that your marketing is right, your positioning is right, you're following God, and you're marching, enduring the problems. Because let me tell you, you've got to pound that pavement. You've got to go around that thing until it falls. These are the principles of business and these are the principles of faith and that is how you manage the risks of business. The risks of business are not managed simply by praying. You've got to scout out the land, know what the risk is. You've got to be able 
to see what God is doing move with him. You've got to be able to change your mind, be circumcised, and realize that the way I trusted and moved with God before is not how I'm going to trust and move with God now. You've got to have visibility of your temple. You've got to be able to be connected. What is that visibility? Create a board, create people around you that advise you, that you care about, not this mentorship of, of, of you see someone on Facebook and you're like, mentor me. No, 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 no. Let that person be real because you know them. You know how their fat smell. That's how well you know them. You know who they are in God because they're genuine. Because when they tell you, then you can trust. You can see what God is doing in their life so you know what God is doing in yours. Make sure Whatever processes you have, they are repeatable. Remember which staff you have. Whether it is your house staff, your staff in the office, your staff, you are the manager, you are, they are your juniors in your, in your career. Whoever they are, if they are not able to match at your command, you are failing. If they are not able to match at your command, they are failing. In fact, if you read those six chapters, you realize something interesting about Joshua. Joshua would be given the whole plan by God. He would tell the Jews one step at a time. He would tell them, now follow the ark, now cross the river, now pick up stones, now do this. Because he had learned how to lead. So he knew how to break it down to steps that my staff must do. And, and allow me to belabor this point. A lot of African businesses fail because we do not give our staff steps. We don't, they don't know how to march. If your institution, whatever you do, you cannot say forward march and people forward march. Instead, you say forward match, someone else is side matching, back matching. <laughs> You're lost. So, if you look at all this and you read any business book, you will now know how to take, because all I have taught is risk mitigation. How do businesses ensure they're profitable? Boards are there to ensure profitability. Accounting and matching systems are there to ensure the business is profitable. Repeatability makes sure the business is reputable. Marketing makes sure the business is hard, it is out there. All these things are in your Bible. Now, the question is, how does it then work? Because we know if we marched around this building, we might not know the frequency. But it's true. You know if you get a thousand people to march in rhythm, and that rhythm is at the same um, resonance frequency of this building, it will fall. Now, this is where the partnership between God and all that grace, mercy, and favor comes in. God will reveal to you as you're marching the frequency. God will reveal to you as you're matching the speed. God will reveal to you the details. 
So you may look like you're matching and marketing the same way that other business, the other side is doing. But the ingredient that makes all the difference is that God being partner in their labor. So when you begin to match the way God is showing us here, then God comes to partner with you and he shows you how to bring it down. Are we together? That, my friends, is how you manage risk by faith and the faith that comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, not the faith caused by ignorance. Now next week, we discuss how now to live in that place called grace, favor, and mercy. So, I've not overstayed. Mm -hmm.